everyone. Welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we seek to find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus-embodying responses to current day issues. I was just sitting here this morning, um, kind of a slow day of work. I've gotten some questions about the revival taking place at Asbury University, and I've also seen different things online about a couple of different things that I thought, well, maybe I was sitting here talking to myself and I thought maybe I should just turn on the mic and and share some of these thoughts. First off, I don't share them because I think I have anything valuable to to say or like that people need to hear. Um, I think think it can be very tempting in times like this. No, I'll just say the two things I've been thinking about were the Asbury revival and then the he gets us ad campaigns that that ran over the super bowl i've seen a lot of people talking about them i've i've been a part of some conversations about them and i i just think it it's really tempting to have like an opinion on these things and i'm not sure that we need to like i think it's okay to just be like hmm, and not have like yay or nay opinion and let both of them kind of work out like that's kind of the premise where I want to start. So I'm not, what I'm sharing are just some observations. I think for the rest of us who aren't a part of the campaign, who aren't there at the revival, just as we're looking on something like that, just some things that I believe pretty deeply are true that I think we need to remember in times like these. And so yeah, let's start with the Asbury Revival. That's the one I've, I've actually received some questions about. So just for a little bit of context, I'm not sure how many of you know there's been, at, at the time of this recording, it's going to be probably close to a week till I actually release this. But um, So I don't know if it'll still be going when this gets published on podcast platforms or not. Um, maybe I'll publish it a little early. We'll see. But... At the time of this recording, there's been a 120 plus hour prayer service that has turned into, you know, a a multi-day, almost a whole week now, um, prayer service and worship service. And I've had a couple friends who have gone to be a part of it, um, just kind of to see as well as participate. I I actually have a, a cousin who is, I think she's... still attending Asbury University. Um, I I know some people who teach at Asbury University or who have graduated from Asbury University. Um, So all that to say, I have some context for Asbury University. I've never been to Asbury University. I don't know anybody directly on like some of the head faculty, the people that I know who teach there, you know, they just teach. I think a history and a sociology class. And I don't know them super well, so I'm not going to act like I know them. Like they're good pals or anything. Like I haven't talked with them about this yet. One of my profs is fairly connected or seems fairly connected. I, I haven't spoken with him specifically, although he, he has shared some stuff on social media and has been there. Has he spoken there? I'm not sure. There's a there's a few people I follow who have spoken at Asbury University, but I can't remember if my prof has or not. But he has shared some things that from people on staff there who who are publishing things on 
social media or something and, and he just shares them. And, and so that's probably been the biggest way that I've seen what's going on there. Um, it's the closest firsthand account, I guess you could say. And so I guess, yeah, I think um, the question I get a lot is what do you get a lot? <laughs> it sounds like every day people are sending me in questions. I think I've gotten this twice from, from two of you. And I've seen a lot of chatter about it on social media. Um, what do you think of what's going on at Asbury? And I guess my first response is, I don't know that I need to think something about what's going on at Asbury. I, I really appreciate my prof. Um, just for context, some of you might see me share some things, but Dr. Matthew Halstead is one of my profs. He's also my academic advisor. So I, I really appreciate him. Appreciated the classes I've been a part of. Obviously, he was on the podcast here about a year ago, I think, and talked about um, eschatology, Revelation. So he's coming out with a book on Revelation, I think. I always forget if it's on Revelation or on eschatology. Um, if it's on Revelation, it'll dabble with eschatology. But I think it's actually an eschatolo- a book on eschatology more um, coming out next year. I had the privilege of reading through that at least an early manuscript of that. Um, now I can't remember. Got on to giving context. What was I going to say about him? Oh, I he had a post when he, sh- one of the first things he shared, he said he's always skeptical of revivalism and hype. And I can very much identify with that um, without getting into too many weeds like there there's there's a popular series i think they have one or two videos this was, came out back in the late 90s early 2000s about like documenting different revivals it's interesting in times since like there's been material and so forth that have come out saying that it wasn't quite as that documentary portrayed and i think when people are in the middle of and some of them like maybe Maybe it never really happened like that. Um, there were there were a lot of perhaps. Well, I'm not going to say for that particular documentary. Just in case any of you know what I'm referring to, but um, I I have seen. I will talk about some things that I've seen firsthand. Whether it's overseas, whether it's here in the U.S., that is that whenever like whenever we're in a middle in the middle of a really deep emotional and spiritual connection with God. Um, and, and I also think like, I think we sometimes downplay the value of connection with people, like what makes these things so meaningful and like catch fire is that we're doing it with people. And so I think many of us have probably had times that were really sweet and beautiful personally with God. I know I've had that. And it's just like, you want to continue. You don't want to start your work for the day. and You just want to keep going. And it's, it's doesn't have the same resonance or vibrancy because it's not with people. And that's okay. Like God made us for connection with people. He made us to be able to connect with him wherever we are and worship whatever situation we find ourselves in. 
But when it's done with people, that's that's really special. And whether or not it lasts 120 hours or, or not is really kind of beside the point. But that's part of the value of the local church is it's a place where you can come and connect with people and can together as a community, as an ecclesia, a gathering, connect with God. And so I think sometimes we overlook that a little bit, like why these things feel so vibrant is we don't always connect with people when we go to church. We don't always have this mutual kind of on the same wavelength. I don't know where we get the term wavelength. I don't mean that in any sort of new agey or whatever feel, but like the same what God is working and stirring in our hearts isn't always going to be the same as the, the person sitting next to me at church or the person preaching at church or leading worship at church or whatever at church. And so there's not going to be the, the synchronization. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a label new agey here. If I keep using words like that, um, but like a coming together, kind of the perfect storm, everybody, processing the same thing and so those are pieces that are a part of whether it's ever called nationally a revival or whether it was just a really special chapel time at your bible school or whatever those pieces are always at play you're connecting with people you're connecting with god and you're processing similar things together i think a book that becomes a big hit in in really ministering to people is a similar thing like through the medium of writing it has connected with people together the author and the reader connecting with god and they're processing things that like oh I, you know this is something i'm working through and so those dynamics are a part of what like make something really resonate and come alive and i think sometimes we we can downplay that so whether the fact that that doesn't always happen at church i don't think is something we should be critical of like people aren't always going to be on the same wavelength the same thing that they're processing the fact that it does happen and it lasts for 120 hours at asbury university i don't think we need to be critical of like it's just really beautiful and cool like i'm glad so many people have connected and even people traveling in are being able to connect together as a community as a gathering i said i use the term ecclesia before but I don't, i'm not sure if that's like a familiar term or not that's where we get the term church like in most places in our greek new testament where it says church the greek word is ek- ecclesia which is simply the gathering, the gathering of people, the coming together of God's people. And so when you, when you gather as a community and you connect with God, that's exactly what the church is for. But just because we don't have these immense times of we just don't want to stop all the time, every Sunday, that doesn't mean something's wrong with our church. I, I I would say like if it never happens, like if you never have a special few few weeks ago, we at our church here had a had a special worship service. Everybody walked out saying like, wow, that was a really meaningful time of worship. And that's awesome. That's beautiful. That's what should happen. Like it, you should go in there and, and be able to connect. Now, 
I'm going to step in here. This is kind of some of what I've seen some chatter about, and I've just been thinking about it this morning. What happens when there's a lot of people connecting and you're not connecting? Or you feel kind of off in that moment? Like I think that's a question many of us wrestle with, maybe with our church, maybe at Asbury University. I don't, I don't know of any specific situation that's happening there, but some, some of us who are kind of looking at it from a distance are chattering, chatting about that. Does that mean it's a genuine revival? Okay, so, you know, someone's there sitting there feeling like, well, there's two aspects to this. So let me start with the, the individual piece one. So does it mean that that person is not experiencing Jesus? They're not surrendered to Jesus or something is wrong with that person? And I think kind of with the whole concept of like, I don't know that I need to have a perspective on it. Part of why I think I don't need to have a perspective on it is because every question we're going to discuss, there could be multiple answers for. There could be multiple ways. So, yeah, truthfully, it could mean that, you know, if I'm in a church service and everybody's connecting, sensing the presence of God, except me, it could mean that something's wrong with me. And I don't mean like something's horribly wrong but it could just it could mean that like for example if you just went through a tragedy and you're really wrestling with questions and doubts about god you're probably not going to feel uber excited i don't you may not even be at a service like that i don't know i've been in some situations during seasons of my life where i was dealing with pretty intense grief or some depression, even um, discouragement, some, some things going on in relationships. And so I felt I, for one thing, I just didn't feel what everybody else was feeling. And because I didn't feel what everybody else was feeling, it was easy to feel cynical. Then sometimes the cynicism may have been there before. Other times the cynicism was because it felt like, you know, if you, if you had just gone through what I was going through, then you wouldn't be feeling this gushy either. You know, that kind of, that's kind of a harsh way. I don't know if I had those specific thoughts, but, but quite frankly, that can be kind of be the, the feeling. And, and so like there again, it, to say is something wrong with me in that circumstance. Well, I'm definitely going through something. Is something wrong with me? No, like everybody else who's who in that service is having a special time with God at some point in their life are going to go through something similar. They're going to go through a season of feeling dry and having questions about God. And so it could be you're some you're going through something like that. Could be there's there's very rational explanations for why you just aren't feeling it, and that's okay. And I think it, I've been in places Two, where I felt tempted, like I gotta, I gotta express that. And here's the thing about these moments, revivals, renewals, just really special worship times, whatever you want to call them. The thing about them, the way that they really catch is when people are true and authentic 
And I've, I've been in services like that where it was like everybody felt they had to share something. And very soon it lost the, because it sort of felt like we were coming up with things to share. And some of us just don't have things to share. And that's okay. We can still be a part of the moment. We can sit there and just relish in the moment. But some of us feel very insecure in that. And we feel like that that is saying something of us if we're not sharing, if we're not confessing something, or if we don't have a song of just that's really spoke to us or whatever. There can be a, yeah, insecurity. Uh, I had a word and it slipped my tongue. But that we feel and feel a sense of needing to kind of prove ourselves or whatever. And to be honest, I think, I think that will often probably work to humanize the event. And, and part of what is special when the spirit of God is moving in a, in a group of people is when everybody can recognize their place and my place and, there have been times where I've been the worship leader of a service that turned into a really special share time and prayer time. There have been times where I was in the back bouncing a kid in the middle of a worship service that turned into that way. And I didn't even catch what started it, like who had the testimony that. And so we don't have to be the center of that story. We can be one of the participants. We can be the person who finally breaks the ice and just shares like very vulnerably what they're wrestling with. And then everybody else is like, I'm going through something similar, you know, or whatever. Or we could be the person in the back. who's like, I'm not really sure what I have to offer to this service, but I want to be here and pray for people. I want to be here with, you know, witness, testify to God in any way that I can. I love singing or whatever and just recognizing that not trying to create something that isn't there um i I think that's really important and so again kind of to that i'm going to keep bringing us back here if we're looking at it from a distance and we're looking on and we're like some of us are going to be like wow that's beautiful that's exciting i would love to be a part of that i want to go check it out you know when we get in our car and drive over there i probably would if i was within a couple hours of it like it it sounds like something really special is happening there but i'm in colorado so it's going to be quite a flight um especially to kentucky it's like there's nothing close by there maybe that's why it's happening there i don't know Others of us are, are going to be like, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical of this. This seems like a lot of hype. And, and I think the important thing for us is before we come down and be like, yes, this is real. This is a real revival. Or we come down critically, we need to remember that, you know, just remember our place. We're not there. We're not sure what's going on. We're not sure what started it. We're not sure what all is happening. And let's just sit and observe with eager anticipation because I do think we we want God to work, right? If there's any of us sitting around and being like, I don't really want God to work or just like super cynical of whether or not God can work, like I think that shows a deep crisis in our faith and perhaps our affection but that's going to lead, yeah, I mean, that kind of 
goes into some of our um, leads into the next piece that I want to talk about. But ultimately, I think disciples of Jesus are going to want to see people that spread across the land, right? Some of our biggest arguments as Christians have to do with how we make that happen. You know, how do we go about convincing and influencing the people around us to turn to Jesus and have that kind of connection? Now, this is happening amongst Christians, right? Like, there's not, this isn't an unreached corner of the world. It's relatively close to the Bible Belt, if not considered in the Bible Belt. So these, these are people who are very familiar with Jesus. They're there at a Christian university, not necessarily taking Bible classes, but um, there's, there's a strong influence of the Christian faith there. So it, I do think these things are more rightly put called spiritual renewals. I, like them. I get that term from Mark Sayers. He talks about different periods of spiritual renewal throughout history. And interestingly, he said a few years ago that that he felt like um, the world was ripe for a new one. Um, And in the moment of great political animosity and hostility and just a lot of heated anger, um, a lot of people can get discouraged. And he says that's actually often preceding uh, these, these spiritual renewals that can happen. But what about, what about the fact, like, what if, what if people walk away from this renewal or revival, as most people have been calling it, and there's still sin happening in their life, and there's still something not quite, I don't know, sanctified or whatever. Was it legit? Does that, does that mean it's illegit? Um, Does that say something about the the legitimacy of that event. I think it's really important to remember that. Well, maybe I'm getting the cart in front of the horse. I don't know. Um, like we are human people, and I think we need to, for lack of a better term, like deconstruct or like peel back, look behind the curtain, whatever phrase you prefer. And, and see like what causes these sort of things. Okay. There's a group of people gathering, they're connecting with God and they're all processing or for the most part, processing similar things. That's what causes these. Okay. It's not inherently that like, Oh, the Holy spirit is here, but the Holy spirit isn't anywhere else because it's not, I think that's First of all, I think that's mistaken. And I also think that will lead to like, if the people at Asbury were to take that perspective, it would lead to a a great apostasy within Asbury to have that perspective. That's, you get like Munster rebellions that way, (laughs) just to pull in the extreme, right? Where they, they are the ones filled with the Holy Spirit. They're fighting for God and it's not anywhere else. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with that, Munster was a part, like in the middle of the Radical Reformation, and um, Thomas Munster, Munster, I think is his name, set up camp essentially in the city of Munster, and 
like they were the city of God, the city, the city of David, I think they called themselves and the true city of David. And, and there was a lot of like immorality happening and um, the, the Holy, basically they, they had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think it started relatively innocent. Like there was something, I don't know what you'd call it because yeah, it very quickly got chaotic and perverted and not at all the the fruit of the fruit of god and so you know in that in those from that posture of like the holy spirit has shown up here it's not showing up other places i i think very that like that's a recipe that's a um a harbinger of a very dangerous thing about to happen within that group so i don't think asbury's taking that perspective i don't think they i think they should be very careful not to right the other thing is that they are still human okay they're connecting around god is convicting them of something and so they're connecting around that there's something they're working through i have no clue like was there a real relational tension going on um, that now they've had a huge breakthrough and they've connected around were they all like you know the majority of the student body convicted about a particular sin in their life that they just started repenting of and they're they're expressing desire for change and i think so this kind of gets into the whole like is is this legit is it just emotional hype and i think sometimes we forget that these things are emotional there isn't like a legit non-emotional, this is just the spirit of God sort of revival. And then just an emotional thing that doesn't last. No, all of these are emotional. They affect our emotions. People are crying. People are feeling things. They're feeling conviction. They're feeling the presence of God. And God works through our emotions. And sometimes we in the West have a very negative view of emotions because there are negative emotions. And they're like we can pursue emotions as though they are the end in themselves emotions aren't an end in themselves emotions are feelings like it's a it's a part of our being our existence so just like you're you know here in my office it's winter we had a fairly significant snowstorm yesterday here in colorado and um so the heater's been running and so forth our ventil our ventilation isn't very good and then our insulation isn't super good in this house it's a little bit of an older house so where our room is my my wife and i is upstairs and on the complete opposite side of the house compared to where my office is my office is fairly close to the the utility room and the heater and everything i get hot in my office sometimes and i can go up to our room and it's like chilly so sometimes i will just take my laptop grab and go go work in my room for a little bit <laughs> which ironically is the last house we had in my office was in our room and so now i have the opportunity to just stay in my office and i end up back in my room just for some cooler space but like i'm feeling huh it's hot in here Whew. you know it's i'm it's the middle of winter and i'm i feel a drop down from my armpit or something and oh i gotta go take a walk or go do some work in in our room or something like i'm feeling that it's just it's just is it's just, it's just what's going on and that's how emotions are is they're 
they're the uh, barometer, I guess you could say, like a gauge showing what's going on. There's some things going on inside. And when you're when you're evoked to tears, there's something going on inside that's either causing grief or it's like really touching you in a very deep way, a very deep part. Um, it's, it's really interesting. The um, Paul Brand, I think is his name, Dr. Paul Brand, has, has done a lot of writing on the intersection of pain, the, the feeling of pain and the feeling of pleasure and how like they're very similar feelings. Another, and I'm not sure if Paul Brand talks about this, um, but another interesting study is the relation between the, the feeling of nervous and anxiety and excitement. They're the same feeling, the same feeling. We're just interpreting them differently. Um, it's kind of a little bit different concept because those, it's the same feeling, like what's happening in our brain and what's happening in our body is the same chemical reactions and everything. But in one situation, we, we read that through a lens of fear. In another situation, we read that, read, read that through a lens of anticipation. And it's exciting. Um, and so part of combating fear and anxiety is actually leaning into that feeling and letting that fuel your excitement for, I'm, I'm excited. And, and that, yeah, this is not at all going to do justice to that conversation because you could walk away feeling like, okay, whenever I feel nervous, I just need to convince myself I'm excited. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that it's the same feeling. There's, there's very similar things going on physiologically. And so it's a little different, but kind of along the same line with pain and pleasure that you often feel like it might be better described that like pain is one side of the coin and pleasure is the other side of the coin. And, and they usually are felt simultaneously at times. Um, you know, one, one question we've often had in light of mom's death happening a few days before our wedding and her funeral the day before our wedding. It's like, how was that? Like, how could, could you, could you feel excited and so forth? And it's just like, yeah, like we, we felt all of that. We felt um, intense, like the, the deepest grief. We've cried more in the two days leading up to our wedding than, or four days leading up to our wedding than ever before in my life and probably ever since. But I also felt like I would look back at my wedding day as one of the most exciting days of my life. And I felt that. And I like it. It's not like your body only has capacity for one emotion at a time. <laughs> like we feel all these things because they're realities of things that are happening around us and in us. And you're just going to feel it. And so you're going to have a revival that you feel emotionally connected with. And then at times you might walk away and it's like that emotion wears off and, you know, people look on and be like, oh, that wasn't legit. No, that probably was a very legit connection with God. And whether or not the connection with God lasts or transcends the event probably has less to do with the fact that emotions existed <laughs> and more to do with other pieces of the experience and of your connection with God. All of these are emotional. They're going to be emotional highs. There's going to be a crash Every single participant of the Asbury University Revival experiences 
whenever they step away and they leave and this kind of comes down. And what I mean by crash is the emotional high is going to come down. Things are going to feel back to normal. Like physiologically, you're going to feel kind of settled back into what you were before. And the challenge that a lot of us feel is we start getting anxious and fear because we thought that the change that God was doing in us was bringing about I'm sorry, let me reword it. We thought that the change God was doing in us was that emotion, that feeling. We thought that was God at work, as opposed to recognizing that the reason we were feeling that is because God is doing something inside of us. And so God's going to continue to do that, but it's going to be more familiar. And so it's not going to feel as new and exciting. Um, There's also going to be seasons of, of... slippage backsliding a little bit it's one of the things i really appreciated about the chosen series is they show like even disciples who walked with jesus wrestling with with their past and things that that can kind of hold them back and and there's there's some moments of backsliding and then the shame that is involved in confessing that to jesus and and coming back you know some of that is obviously um what do you call artistic license in in imagining like what it was like for the disciples to be human we don't get that specifically in the text of scripture but i think that's a very crucial piece to the story of jesus because there is that there we are going to you know you're going to learn whether it's the drunk who like stumbles and falls off the wagon, as they say, or whether it's the guy who struggles with impatience and frequently snaps at his kids, who has like three good months where he's patient, and then there's a day where he snaps at his kids again. That, that's, that would be me if you don't understand what I'm talking about. But um, like th- those are, it's the journey, the trajectory of a disciple of Jesus. There's going to be these seasons where we fall back and so all of that that doesn't mean like oh it wasn't legit or it wasn't real it just means no here's another opportunity for jesus to make it more real in my life because i am a broken being i am a broken being period and the grace of jesus is then enabling me to function and relate rightly with god and with other people but i'm still a broken being I'm still in my flesh, tempted every day, and kind of even even a lot of pieces about me are bent to, to serve myself and to be God myself. Like that's going to be the cosmic struggle throughout all of history. Now, my true identity is that I'm made in the image of God and that that is the vision that God has for my life. But because of the fall, like we are going to always, even, Paul says, even those with the first fruits of the Spirit, Romans 8. Uh, I forget what, what verse it is. Somewhere between like 16 and 26. <laughs> um, we're going to feel that groaning, the pangs of childbirth because creation is held in bondage to corruption. And so we're going to deal with that. And I think the temptation can be the emotions that we experience, which are simply kind of the gauge, like 
telling us what's going on around us and in us. We think that that's the work God is doing. Oh, God put that emotion, that God put that, that energy in that life, that desire to pray every day. No, you have a desire to pray every day right now because you've been there for 120 hours and you've seen like people confessing things that they've never confessed before. You've seen, you know, God maybe revealing things to yourself that you've never seen revealed before. And so that's what's this desire inside of you, this insatiable hunger and thirst. That's coming from what's going on around you. And that's great that there's everything good about that, but that's going to wear off. And you're going to go back into a season where you're tempted to just surf Facebook instead of pray. Not because, no, that wasn't legit and God's not real, but because you're no longer seeing the confession happening regularly. You're no longer... <laughs> I was looking at my phone as an example and noticed I have a text from somebody. So that threw my um, thought process off. Um yeah, it's like all of a sudden your phone is going to be more visible and in your face than all this confession worship and everything. And so it's going to it's going to be more tempting to spend your time there. And so that's why we need to be careful. I'm not just talking about like Asbury University revival. I'm talking about like when when you're waking up before work or going to bed or whenever you do your devotions and, and you spend time in prayer and meditation and you're wrestling, like, I just don't feel like this. Or, and then all of a sudden you start having doubts and it's like, is God even real? Or am I even a Christian? It's just like, no, in that moment, stop all of that and say, whoop, I'm human. I'm human, which means I'm broken. I'm bent to not want to, you know, really acknowledge that God is God. I kind of want to be God. The other thing is I'm human. And so I'm feeling all kinds of things that are happening around me. I'm tired. Middle of the week. It's the middle end of week right now. I, I tend to be more tired. And so I'm far more easily distracted first thing in the morning on Thursday and Friday than I am on Monday and Tuesday. Monday and Tuesday, I'm very focused. I have projects ahead of me. On the end of the week, I'm more tired. That That really doesn't necessarily have to do with the level of devotion and legitimacy to my passion for Jesus. It has everything to do with the fact that I've usually had a few four and a half to five and a half hour nights by then. And, you know, some stressors that came up, whether through work or, you know, relationships or whatever. And so there's things on my mind, lack of sleep, and I'm going to be feeling something different come Thursday Friday is usually kind of fun because it's the last work day of the week. But I'm usually going to be feeling something different come Thursday than I was on Monday or Sunday when I was far more rested and more excited. Now, the vice versa can also be true if, if you're struggling with church and you're not really connecting with people right now. Um, Monday, after going to church and once again, could actually be a pretty depressing. I've, I've gone through seasons where Monday was the depressing day of the week because it's like I didn't really connect with anybody and now I got to go the whole week through all my work and everything and I, and I feel alone or I feel whatever oh. so I think like don't talk or think about it as though there's like these non-emotional times and then there's these emotional times 
uh-uh, they're, we're human. They're, there's emotions, period. Like there is part of the reason you're hearing about it is because people are experiencing something emotional. It's affecting their emotions. Um, and so the goal shouldn't be like to have this pragmatic, non-emotional time. Like somehow that's legitimate because we all have had pragmatic, unemotional church experiences that didn't turn any, into anything amazing. And so that's not the solution. And the whole point is that that's not like the work that God is doing isn't the emotion itself. The emotion is happening because of something God is doing in your life. It's happening because God put his finger on a sin in your life and you confessed it. And that release, that conscious release of like, no longer do I have anything to hide, but also the shame, like the overwhelming shame and that moment of fear, like what's everybody going to say of me? Like that, that brings a bucket of mixed emotions that usually result in somebody crying. And there's multiple things happening at the same time. And it was all f- feeling somewhat pent up inside of you. If you're like me, there may be a, a bit of this like, I don't know if you get into the Enneagram or not, but I'm an Enneagram one, which has a constant internal critic. I didn't realize, I didn't realize people didn't constantly critique their thing. Like I can get up and make announcements, sit back down and like be critiquing how I could have done that better. Like in the moment of this podcast, you know, the fact that I had to stop and blow my nose a couple of times or I was drinking coffee or whatever, like I'm, I'm critiquing all of that. And I have to learn to just set, like, I don't have time to present a perfect podcast. And so it's a conscious thing for me to just like, it's okay that it's not going to be perfect. It's actually been really like some of part of what inspired me to get into podcasting. Cause I always thought it was like this big production. You had to have it just right was connecting with some podcasts that were just very laid back and conversational and just be like, I can do that. And, um, and those are actually the kinds of podcasts I tend to connect with more. And so it's like, Oh, well I can do that. I can, if I can just kind of set that critique and drive down, but for me, when I confess something, it's it's probably going to be something I've been thinking about, convicted of, have a lot of shame, and it's just, you know, there's been this little internal cr- cr- criticizer going on for a long time. And so it can often come out kind of stale and just like, you know, whatever, you know, confess to my wife, you know, I'm sorry for the response. It wasn't right. It wasn't, I shouldn't have done it. And it's because I've ever since that, event not like i do have blind spots there are some things she informs me about that i totally did not see how that landed on her or affected but often like there is something that i've been feeling a lot of shame about and so i feel stoic i feel i don't cry well that that's still an emotional response because of something that's going on inside of me because things that I've been processing and thinking. Yeah, I think, I think you get the point. So I'm, I'm, I'm not actually that concerned about like, is this just the emotional hype? Yes, it's emotional. (laughs) It's hype. Um, and, And when I, you know, when my prof talks about like being apprehensive about revivalism, I think what we're getting at there, cause I, I can identify with that is the drive that like, 
having a revival is what. So now we're going to go do a revival in, it happened in Kentucky. Now we're going to go do one in Minnesota or Nebraska. What's, what's another kind of rural backwoods state that we could go throw a revival in? Um, ironically, there's actually some very rural backwards places of California. I don't think people think of California as rural, but oh, we could go have a revival in California. Um, well, I mean, there, yeah, a, a group, you know, the whole um, New Apostolic Reformation group, Bethel in Redding, California, is kind of a similar, people have had similar critiques of like, is, you know, is this God or, you know, what's going on there? And, oh, what was I saying? Oh, just that notion that, like, that's what we need to do now is we need to go copy and redo whatever took place at Asbury. No. Hmm. Or even that because a revival happened, there's this great spiritual something happening, amazing. People are just turning back to God. No, that's that's not necessarily true. This this may happen at Asbury University, and it could actually be that the rest of the country is is really heading in a wrong direction. And actually, I'll just <laughs> tip my cards a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a few of these types of events. And maybe maybe some others have already happened in Asbury, just happened to have the right connections that it got got um, publicized a little bit more. But the church in America is is not like there is a lot of influencers on it that are not Jesus. And so I I wouldn't be surprised if as people like come to uh, grips if that's the word, I don't know, as as people are just like convicted as God, as Jesus begins to put his finger in our lives on certain things and we just same say it, confess it. Yes, you are right. And and we turn. Like there's going to be these moments of just tremendous renewal. Um, again, I, I prefer that term as opposed to revival or awakening or something. Um, because the the Spirit of God is working everywhere. Like He's working in South America right now. He's working in Australia. He's working in Uganda. The Spirit of God is working in um, Turkmenistan. He's working in Iraq. He's working in France. And so the, this notion, this idea that somehow, and it, it largely comes from <laughs> white imperialistic colonization mindset that somehow like the gospel is being brought into an area and it, People are being awakened and they're coming to the faith. That's not always true. Like, yes, there are unreached areas of the world, but the spirit of God is already there. And we're not, we're not there to bring the spirit of God. Um, we are there to testify to the spirit of God and to create a human awareness of Yahweh's presence and to see if there is faith and belief enough for the spirit of God to do something in an area like that's what ministry is. We're, we're not the ones 
bringing it into these different areas and somehow and that and that that's the piece of revivalism and kind of sensationalism that that i just feel really uncomfortable with it it feels off um these things happen extremely organically and one of the things that um my my prof dr halstead shared a post from somebody there at asbury university and i guess a famous worship leader called and asked if if they would like him to come and, and they said you know thank you so much but um you're not really needed here like our our young our student body is taking care of the music and everything and i i just think that's really beautiful that's good kind of guarding even what's going on because this isn't this isn't happening because of any particular individuals it's happening because god is speaking something to individuals who happen to be processing similar things and they're happening to be gathered together. And so there's a lot of different pieces that are happening at the same time that are making it a, a meaningful event for people, even folks traveling in. But then what happens if, you know, I think a common critique or concern of say the Great Awakening is that some of the most influential preachers of the Great Awakening used slaves so whoop-de-doo like <laughs> there's a great awakening but you're still committing gross act of injustice against other human beings and so what about that 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 continues on and i just i i've thought about this because i've seen some conversation happening on some people i follow on twitter and it's like i don't yeah, there again, like, I don't, I don't know that I need to have a perspective on this. Is that legit? Is it illegit? I don't know. But I, I would like to just throw this out. And maybe you you all can, can help me process it, you can give some feedback or whatever. But I think it's dangerous for us to mock or even deny the Spirit's work in people's lives, even when there's blind spots that continue or um, sin that continues. Because what we inadvertently communicate is that we're looking for perfection and we're, we've lost sight of ourselves, that there is sin in our lives that continues and God continues to be patient with us. Oh. And so I, I'm uncomfortable with this, like just writing something off because there's, there's still some sin that is existing. And I'm specifically using the term sin. For one thing, I, I believe, you know, George Whitfield's or um, Jonathan Edwards' use of slave labor is a sin against other people. So that like some of the greatest preachers still living in us or committing sin against others. But God uses many different kinds of people. And that's, that's actually the point. We need to be very careful in thinking that somehow we need to be perfect enough for God to use us. God actually uses all kinds of people. That doesn't mean that like, 
that this, because God uses all kinds of people, look at the fruit, look at what God is doing, should never be an excuse to address sin. I'm sorry, an excuse for not addressing sin. I said that and I was like, something sounded funny. Um, <laughs> so like sometimes something will come out about a preacher, well-known or even just anybody, and they'll be like, well, but look at what good he did. You know, he, the ministry that God was able to do through him and all this and stuff. No, 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 no. That's not a reason not to step in and confront the sin here because God uses all kinds of people. God uses heathens. He uses wicked pagan kings to accomplish his work. Now, that's a little different than like, he never used a wicked pagan king to, to preach a sermon and then instigated a, a great revival. Um, but to, to push forward his sovereign purposes, like, yeah, God, the fact that you're a part of that doesn't say anything special about you we, or me. Like, we are still responsible for conforming into the image of Jesus. And, and confronting the sin in our lives. So that's that's one thing that I'm feeling as I'm processing some of what's happening or even as you look throughout history at different great awakenings or revivals that took place is I think we need to be careful about saying, oh, that wasn't God because this sin continued. No, God works through many different imperfect people and there's a lot of people who, I mean, you could even point to people like Billy Graham revivals or Bill Gothard seminars that, you know, looking back, history has a more honest critique of what was going on. But I, I personally know people who, through those events, came to know Jesus, and they are embodying Jesus today. Like, they, yeah, I, I don't think... I don't think the point should be that we put a stamp of disapproval, like this is not legit, or that we put a stamp of this is legit. I think a better posture would be, hmm, interesting. You know, what's what's going on? Um, having said that, I think a deeper thing that is important for us to process is... What sorts of messages and narratives are we centering around? And is it truly the gospel? Because these deep connections, great connections can happen. Same things together. And they're connecting around an ideology. So sometimes it's possible to mistake connection with God to a connection around a particular ideology. I have no clue what's happening at Asbury. So uh, this is not me stating something about Asbury. I just do know that it's possible for people to experience something that is just, oh, it just feels like the, the work of God is just moving. And one area where we've seen this is 
in light of some of the things that have happened politically in our country in the last couple of years, like there are groups that gather together out of protest for COVID regulations or something. And they experience this revival because there, there was a church in LA that had this and their, their testimony was that like people were coming in because they were so excited that your church stayed open and didn't, can, you know, didn't bow down to the COVID regulations and everything. It's like, the more you talk with people from that, it's like, that's great. Like, I'm glad maybe God is using that church through that. Um, there are some things that have come out in recent, the last year or so, that are kind of, <clears throat> it's really easy when scandal comes out to be like, I had a bad feeling about that, you know. But I I did. I, I was not... That church was not, we lived like four miles from it. Um, <laughs> I've been, I've, I've visited the campus and everything. Um, I've never met the, the pastor. He's more of a celebrity pastor and stuff. But some of, some of my profs from Eternity Bible College would have been trained through a, a college founded by this church and so forth. Um, but there, there were a, a number of things off about that. And so I was always a little skeptical. You know, they're the lone church fighting COVID regulations and everything. Well, what's happening is people are coming in because they're centered around this notion that the state should never tell the church what to do and the church should not be closing even in the middle of a pandemic. That's what they're centering around. So it's not like they were centering around a, a great uh, connection with God through, through conviction of sin and repentance and, and just kind of re-looking at the gospel and just like, how are we failing from this like they're connecting around an ideology that's one example there's other examples there's you know that that's an example of of maybe on the right traditionally conservative kind of right-wing side of things but a very similar thing happens on the left like when you have people who are all gung-ho um you know, social justice and caring for the oppressed and everything you can you can get a connection and what looks like this vibrant kind of movement going, but it's actually centered around an ideology, this ideology of, you know, combating the, the alt-right or something or combating, you know, imperialism or something. Um, and it's not actually centered around Jesus and, and his message and what he's doing in our lives. And so, so it is possible for for revivals, these great emotional, like life changing events to happen, and yet it's actually that their one of their main connection pieces is not Jesus. It's a particular ideology and a particular framework that they think should be true on everybody else, um, and so. I have found it helpful to reevaluate the, the great awakenings that I learned about in, through my conservative Baptist curriculum of high school and to realize there's, there's actually maybe a, a better way for us as Christians to look at that piece of history. Um, those great awakenings serve to introduce a, a patriotism that's hard to distinguish from Christian nationalism. 
Um, this notion that there's a Christian country, uh, those lines got blurred pretty deeply through all of that. And so I'm still, yeah, was, uh, this is conversation for other times, but I'm still, I'm, I'm not sure that it's entirely wrong for Christians to to um, appeal on behalf of in in as exiles in Babylon, like that. Um, yeah, I'm 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 not trying to say that like somehow Christians should never seek to influence government and so forth. But I do think the Great Awakenings introduced early forms of Christian nationalism, white Christian nationalism, that are still, like, we still kind of look through that lens today, and, and so it's kind of hard. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, we could, we could do a whole history lesson on that. It would actually kind of be an interesting project now that I am talking about it and thinking about it. But all that to say that it's possible for whatever's going on at Asbury to be that sort of thing. Like, yes, it's led by Christians. So it's going to look like a revival. It's going to look like, you know, God is doing something at work. But Christians are capable of promoting human ideologies and then centering around them and then calling it Christianity. And so here's the thing. I don't know if that's, I'm not at all trying to say that that's happening. I, I, I think, um, I think it's best for us to just not have an opinion. Like all of these things are possible. Let's just watch and see what, what God is doing, right? Like the fact that that's not happening in my college or in my church or whatever, it's not a judgment necessarily against us. Now, if there's something God's convicting us about and we're just kind of sticking up our noses and we're not going to let God convict us or somehow you cling on to this episode and you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, just because just because that's happening there and not here doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't here. Like, if you're actually really passionate about that, I would maybe say, hey, hit the brakes. Why are you so passionate about that? <laughs> Why are you trying to make that point so strong? Like, is there something God's convicting you of or something? Um, well, yeah, let's just, let's just let it play out. Let's just watch it. What I wanted to leave us with the, the the vision again that God's heart. Uh, again, I don't have my Bible in here. I have it up upstairs, but um, so I'll maybe have to use the computer or my phone. Um, God's heart is his desire for humanity for creation is to unite them in Jesus to bear the fruit of the spirit to look like Jesus be conformed to the image of Christ so that we image God properly throughout the world that's what he designed in Genesis 1 and 2 and so like the work that God wants to do in each one of us is peeling back the prejudice, the, the ways of relating to people that are not 
honoring them as image bearers of God. Um, the, the way that we function in life that does not testify to the wisdom, Ephesians 3, to the wisdom and the goodness of God. Um, and so even if we're a part of something special like this and God is doing something there's still a work for God to do in us. And it has to be on a trajectory towards conforming to the image of Jesus. And if we walk through, like if this revival is centering around in a concept that somehow justifies not being conformed to Jesus in a certain area, then, then that would be something that we can be cautious about, have concern about. Um, you know, the fact that some of the revivalist preachers were the ones who came up with a theology that allowed and freed Christian slave owners to continue to be slave owners. Southern Baptists, the Southern Baptist Convention, like the reason they're called Southern Baptists is because they developed a theology that justified having slaves and they broke off from, from some of the other Baptists. Oh, so if there's, if there's like anything in our whatever service blog or book or whatever is happening that is somehow, maybe it's connecting with a lot of people and they love it, but in its message is justification to not be conformed to Jesus in certain areas. That's something it's okay to have red flags about. Now, from what I'm hearing out of Asbury, like I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things that, yeah, allegiance, kind of allegiances of the heart where people are being challenged and, um, you know, where is their allegiance and have, are they committed to Jesus? And, and so I, I just stand back and I look and I watch with anticipation. What is God doing? I, I like to see it. I would love to be a part of something like that. I'm not right now, and that's okay. That doesn't mean God can't work in me, my wife, in our community. Yeah, like, I believe actually that God is at work in me and my wife and our community. It's just looking different. It's not, it's not a gathering of people who are connecting, dealing with similar issues and together connecting with God. And so it's not going to have the same sort of um, sensation, but even just the same sort of uh, natural attraction. And it's like, wow, like what's going on? Um, that's not going to happen because some of those other dynamics are not in place, but God is working. And I guess the challenge for us is rather than critiquing what's going on someplace, I guess, what, can you look to things and see and acknowledge and lean into where God is working in your immediate community, in your immediate set of circumstances? Because I think a lot of us might be kind of missing what God is doing and wanting to do right in our area because we're so busy looking at Asbury or because we, we think that it should look like what's happening at Asbury. And it's probably not going to look like what's happening at Asbury. And that's okay. God is still working. And so let's 
let's let that happen. Let's thank God for that. Let's pray with them. But then let's also acknowledge what's going on right here and lean into that part, the story that we're right in the middle of. Um, And so I guess I didn't realize I would spend an hour talking about all of this, but um, I also had some thoughts on the the He Gets Us campaign, I've, I've seen a lot. It's, it's really fascinating who's critical of it. So it's just my, when I first heard about it, I heard about it as a com- campaign that wanted to kind of bring Jesus back into a relatable human being. And particularly in, in protest, I don't know about protest, but like in contradiction to the rise of Christian nationalism and just like trying, you know, how this kind of set of ideologies that gets called Christianity and promote it through political means and so forth. Um, specifically wanting to, to separate from that and remind the world, no, this is actually Jesus. I, I had a lot of red flags about that. I was like, uh, I don't know, for one thing, all the money being dumped into it. And also whenever somebody tries to make Jesus relevant, like Jesus doesn't need us to make him relevant. And so there's some of those pieces that I'm like, hmm, you know, whatever. But I kind of forgot about the campaign. And then I started seeing these ads come on. And the, this ad would be playing. And you'd be like, wow, like that's, wow, who is this? That's really good. And well, it, the story, like they always start with a narrative. I mean, not, there's not much narrative. That's that's actually one critique that I would have specifically of the ads. There's little text and there's not much narration. And so I think some people misunderstand what is being insinuated by the scenes. I, I again, I'm assuming I understand what they are like, but especially like the Christian world, I think we should be able to tell what's going on. And, and then the, it's usually like a one line message, like a, a scene will play out and then a one line message. Um, and then, and then the um, he gets us is kind of the last text I think that is shown. And I, I was trying to remember what the specific text was about the ones that ran during the Super Bowl. So there, there was some that were like moments of kind of fascism and anger and kind of dominance, controlling just anger at people. And I think it I think it said something along the lines of I should have looked it up to see if let me do that real quick um, to see if I can I can see the text. He gets us Super Bowl ad. It's for, like what's been really amusing to me is you have the progressive left being very critical of them because it they think that it's promoting fascism and like justifying fascism but then you also have right-wing christians being critical of them because they think it demonstrates a watered down jesus and i i don't think it's very healthy to be like oh both sides are upset at me so i'm doing the right thing but it's been intriguing to observe as as these ads come out and especially as someone who's kind of skeptical of them but then every time i witness i can't I can't pull up the ad to see what the text was. Um, or at least I'm not finding the right article to do it. Uh, anyways, like as someone who is kind of skeptical of them, 
then observing that like a bunch of the people critical of them are are on opposite extremes it's like oh sorry as someone who is skeptical of them but then when i see the ad play i'm like wow this is this is a really good message usually as the scene is playing out i'm like oh that's a that's a good message and then the text is like wow like that's good and it's oh he gets us oh okay interesting um i'm starting to determine i think i've seen four different ads and each time they they go to play i'm like who is this this is really good and then it's oh he gets this so they start i think they all have kind of a black and white you know grace grayscape um coloring on them so you can kind of start to get the feel like oh this is a he gets us ad campaign but i've been pleasantly surprised um first of all the message that well, first of all, <laughs> if you think that an ad should communicate full theology, I think that's on you. <laughs> I think that's kind of foolish. Like, there is absolutely no ad that is going to communicate full theology. We just don't want to communicate bad theology through our ads, right? Like, it's one thing to not communicate everything there is to understanding God. It's another thing to communicate something that isn't true of God. Like, that's not, it's actually not a part of the message of, of the gospel. And so I don't expect these ads to tell me everything. What I think these ads do really good is they are, they are speaking specifically to moments that the people watching football games, the people watching these channels and everything that are going to see them, they're going to have a, um, like it's a part of a pain point in their life. And that's so often Christians, when we go to evangelize or tell the gospel message, we start with things that immediately go over people's heads. And, and it's like, I don't care about that. Like, that's not what I'm wrestling with or whatever. And so I don't really care about how Jesus loved me. It's like, yeah, great. You know what? It, but when you start out with a pain point that somebody's dealing with, then it's, oh, and Jesus has, like, he gets us in our humanness, in our pain points, in our frustrations, in the things we're dealing with. That's the whole point. That's why it's called he gets us. And these ads are merely to introduce people to Jesus and be like, oh, seriously? Like that Jesus had people yelling in his face and he had a, a different response than what we're seeing either on the progressive left or the conservative Christians who argue in the middle of, you know, whatever. Um, you know, yeah. It seems like there's been somewhat of a switch, like early liberalism, like kind of defeated fundamentalism by making them look stupid. Well, now, I don't know if I should have said early liberalism, maybe like the progressivism, secularism, like that's what they're, those people defeated fundamentalism in the public spectrum by making them look stupid. Now you have like conservative pundits Charlie Kirk, Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, you know, all these people. And their whole goal, Candace Owens, like their goal is to make their opponent look stupid. And it's like, that's not, just so we're clear, like everybody that I named, as far as I'm aware, they do not have 
a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not self, even self-proclaiming Christians. But a lot of the church listens to them for their direction, for their perspective on things. And that's not the way Jesus responds. When he's dealing with somebody who's passionately in the wrong, he doesn't just make them look stupid. And so to, to set a scene that is totally different, it's counterculture, it's counter what we're seeing, and then just give this introduction, it's Jesus. That's the purpose. I think that's, I think that hits a piece of what this moment in history needs. But I also think that we ought to have a similar posture about the He Gets Us campaigns as we do about the Asbury Revival. And it's just like, hmm. is it worth all that money, dumping all that money, when there's a lot of other things we could be doing with monetary resources for people who don't have it? I don't know. I don't know that I need to know. I don't know that I need to have a perspective on this. Is God, like are people going to be introduced to Jesus and follow up and, and discover God at a deeper level than ever before through these ads? I don't know. I've been pleasantly surprised at the power of the, the messages for our day. But I also don't know that I need to have a judgment on it. So anyways, there's an hour and 20 minutes of me basically saying <laughs> we don't need to have an opinion on this. But I hope I trust that some of these things have been helpful for you to process, to think through in, yeah, particularly in our own situations, in our own journeys. And then as we're looking at things that are happening like that and, and how we can evaluate ourselves and like what our posture can be going forward. I'd love to, if you have any thoughts or questions, or if you have your response or perspective to some of these things, um, feel free to share them. You can send them to me via email at, at podcast at asherwitmer.com or you can comment if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook or on my blog directly. You can always comment that way as well. Thanks for taking this journey with me and, and listening. <laughs>